Let me give a warm This Week in Interview welcome to, to Jerry. Jerry, welcome to this, this Week in Interview. I hope this is not going to be our last um, conversation on This Week in Interview, but welcome, very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Anthony. If it's the last, it's your fault. <laughs> Let me say that to all you. That means it's not be your fault. But no, mm-hmm. very delighted that you were able to, to, to join us. I I've been reading, you know, trying to keep up on the on the on the situation in the Caribbean, and a lot of times I see, you know, even like when other journalists do their articles, usually if it's sends even sometimes I see Grenada, I see they quote, they quote you, so it, it <laughs> seems that you you enjoy some some eminence in the field of journalism in the Caribbean, and and hence big, uh, you came very big, big recommended. Word. Say that again. Big word. Big word. <laughs> Eminence. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, we we have a lot of Caribbean people who work hard and accomplish a lot, and we need to, you know, when it when that is the case, we need to acknowledge it. So, so as I was saying, I'm delighted that you were able to join us. So let's start off by um, giving people a little bit of background: who you are, you know, your journalism, your your, your history, your record, that sort of thing. Where what what type of areas you focus on? Just give them a, an overview of who Jerry George is. Well, Jerry George journalist, sometimes I laugh at myself. I'm actually a trained telecoms engineer um, who left that to go into public relations. So I'm a public relations consultant. But all along the way, I have always had this interest in the news and uh, and dealing with the news. I was involved also in the establishment of the Socialite newspaper here. And uh, several other uh, of the other media houses I, I did stuff for. But it suddenly became very clear to me that um, that the media houses sometimes didn't want to deal with the issues as they were. I remember writing um, editorials for a particular paper, and when I looked to see whether the editors were produced at the end of the week, they weren't. When I questioned, oh, well, you see, we can't really do that. And I, I, I learned very early that I was not going to deal with that frustration. So I went out on my own limb. I dealt with issues myself. And basically... Um, developed from there. I think the Caribbean has tremendous amount of issues and we are allowing a lot of foolishness and selfishness to cloud those issues to the detriment of the region and our people. And our, our region is really, by and large, very underreported. I, I once um, worked also for BBC Caribbean when that existed and it is one of the things that, that hurts me the most about media in the region. You know, I, I, I was a stringer for BBC Caribbean. And it always amazed me that I had to send my stories to London to come back to the Caribbean. And once BBC took out the BBC Caribbean arm of their business, here we are once again as islands, as media islands all on our own. 
because nobody has paid attention to pulling together the region so that we understand what is happening. And the politicians like it like this. Um, it's a divide and rule mentality. And so for 10 years, I walked up and down the Caribbean a lot. I traveled a lot. And what, what used to frustrate me, so I'm in St. Lucia today, and a big story is developing, but I go to Antigua. And in Antigua, there's absolutely no indication of that story that is so important and has Caribbean um, impact and importance. There's absolutely nobody knows that it's happening. And so um, stories developed and there were like pockets everywhere. And I just committed myself to find a way to pull it all together. I now call myself basically, and I have never even basically said this publicly, but this is my this is my ideology. I call myself the Caribbean news curator. I curate the news um, that I think is important across the region where I think there's interest. And so I pull it all together and I've used my Facebook page to do that and to generate discussions and to bring things to people to to see issues that are important. But that led next on to um, to the production of the, the television program, Time to Face the Facts, because I realized there was need for a broader reach in the Caribbean. And I shared this with, with one of my friends who I met. Um, she was a producer, and I said this to her, and she went, I'm with you in that. And together we just put our heads down, and three years ago we began to produce Time to Face the Facts, which is aired on CMC. And the reason we went to CMC, because they had the only distribution platform that went right across the region. And so we have been there, and it has been growing by leaps and bounds. We have attracted all sorts of people. I mean, the IMF actually sent one of their chiefs down to do an interview with us. We have garnered that kind of respect, and that's what I, I think necessary and important for the Caribbean. So that's me. I mean, I just see it. I think I have a nose for news. I think I know what's important, and I share it. And, 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 and that is so important, the work that you do. And I mean, the fact that you recognize the need and then turn around and take action to, 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 to fill that gap is, is something that we need to do more. So tell, since we're on there already, I know it's a little early in the show, but so that we don't forget, let's tell our listeners how they can tune into that TV program that you say you have, Time to Face the Facts. Is it online? Well, it is. We, we normally broadcast it once on the live show because the live show comes up once a month and we'd love to, to do more than that. Mm. But television uh, production is expensive. Mm. And also that's one of the struggles that we have in the region, finding, finding um, sponsorship for stuff that's good. You know, in the region, I might sound like I'm griping, but I don't even mind if I do sound like I'm griping. We have a region that fail to understand what is important. You will find, for example, businesses throwing $50,000 behind some entertainer for one night tonight. And you ask them to help you to, to support a program that really has to do with people's lives and, and basically existential issues. And it's difficult. You understand? So we'd love to do more than that, but right now we produce it once per month. It is online. Yes. And, um, but it, it airs live on our Facebook page so that persons can go to the Facebook page while the program is running and it's done live. In fact, I can say this. We were the first program three years ago to begin to broadcast. Our first program was broadcast live on the Facebook page. That's before people even knew all about this business. The reason being because I come from a technology background. I, I saw the need to have a wider boat for the program. 
um, that is outside of television itself, quote unquote. And, and so that has also helped in terms of the way that people can interact with us. So but there's a Facebook page. What's, what's the Facebook page? CMC? Time to face the facts. No, time to face the facts show. That's the Facebook page. Okay. Time to, to face, face the facts. The facts. Show. Show. And then, and there's also a, a Vimeo link. So if people, you know, yeah. once you get to one of the, the Vimeo videos, you, are, you have access to all. Right. Because you have, you have a, an yeah. archive. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So. Time to face the facts in this era of alternate facts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> boy, that, 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 that concept has taken, has taken root very fast, boy. <laughs> alternate facts. In two, right? in two weeks, alternate facts is now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but uh, it, it's so interesting that, that it came because it, it, it shines a light on, on something that, on a phenomenon that's happening. Um, in terms of news, where people, I guess because everybody's on Facebook and, it, and people get, in, I guess, the opinion that people can say anything, people can doctor a video, it, it, it's coming to a point where people can say, okay, you say that, but that is your version. Mm-hmm. My version. You know what I mean? And so yes. it's left to the consumer of the news to, 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 to decide which version they're going to believe. And they tend to believe the version that comes from the person that they that they identify with more than on its face the merit of what is of the message that's being broadcast. How I think it's bigger than that. You know? to that? Yeah. No, I'll come back to that question, but I think it's bigger than that. I think when she said alternative facts, it slipped because what she basically is telling us was what drove the campaign. Trump's campaign. It was this whole business because the whole fake news story became, there was fake news all the time, but the whole fake news phenomena was blossomed during that period. And therefore it was, um, that question of alternative facts. All right. And, and I believe that's what they ran the campaign on, this whole business of alternative facts. But even, that slipped but out, even, I believe. Even in the Caribbean, the reason why I was broadening it, I wasn't going specific to Kellyanne, what I was broadening it because when you, so, for example, I don't know if you if you if you read it. I hope I'm not blindsiding you. I was reading um, an article by Ken Richards about um, yourself, your prime minister getting booed at a funeral, mm-hmm. um, and he quoted you in there, where basically all he said is that the prime minister was trying to deliver an address at a funeral, and some people in there didn't think. He, he he deserved, or maybe during the guy's life, he was not kind to him, so he shouldn't do it, and they booed him, preventing mm-hmm. him from, from delivering his address to the point where he had to leave prematurely and his security had to really escort him to his car and he drove away. Mm-hmm. And I was reading some of the comments on the story, and you were attacked personally in the comments, but but more than that, what struck me was the people who was who supported the prime minister was saying one thing. The people I am assuming who are not really enamored with the prime minister was saying it in a different way. And me as a consumer of the news will say, well, if I support Ralph Gonzalez, I'm going to believe this version. But if I don't like him, I believe that version. And in in a in a in a circumstance like that, where you have 
alternate set of facts. People at a funeral of other places see the same thing happen, but given different... I'm glad you used that, you know. Significantly so different um, um, versions of what happened. I am so glad you used that as, as, as an illustration. Here's why. That was, the one again, the fourth time. Um, once once um, Facebook started to develop, and the, the point came when you could you could actually record a video and then broadcast it. Right now, you broadcast live, but those days you have to record the, the video and then broadcast it. I did that. That was the, that's again one of the first time that was happening, mm. and it amazed me. That's all I did. I did nothing more than record the video, no comment, nothing. And put it there for broadcast. Yet I came in for for for, for, for a stick, <laughs> and I found it amusing, actually. But the deeper problem that we're dealing with in the region, and which oftentimes is fueled by people in New York in the diaspora, as it is called, is this: we have allowed party politics to color every decision that we make. We ignore the truth. We ignore the information that's coming across. If it's if it's if it's uncomfortable, we ignore it because it doesn't suit the perspective that we want, and and we color it. That I'm so glad you're using that because that's all I did. I didn't I didn't say a word in that whole situation. I just simply um, recorded the video and broadcast it so that people could see what was happening at the funeral. The Prime Minister opened himself for that. In fact, this, this guy was a radio talk show host for the NDP. And he was actually once of Ralph, Ralph Stone supporters. And he sued him about three times for big money, real money. And he said himself that when the guy came to him one time, I held on and said, man, let's, 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 um, let's fix this problem. Let's, let's call this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, Totally blanked the guy and he said all this on radio. Right? He, he tell him, let go me hand me in a woman. He's saying this on radio now. Right. Okay? And that interview was played the Saturday of the funeral. The people who heard it were incensed because, okay, and then he had said anyway that he was not coming to the funeral. All of a sudden, I was in the church and it's so soon that the prime minister is in the area because obviously he comes with security detail. And he went and he hid away in a house until the funeral um, entourage was coming through. And he joined with the priests and the altar people and all that to come in. And the people would have none of it because they felt that he was trying to trick them into sneaking into the funeral. And it just went wild. I didn't say anything. I just, I just recorded that and showed, I would even say report, I recorded them and showed them what was happening. But I came in for stick and that is just a great indication to show that people are not willing to work on the principle of the facts that are before them. They are allowing emotions and their own personal um, biases to come in the way of dealing with the truth because when the truth becomes uncomfortable, it's the only way to deal with it. Go along the party line, and it's destroying us. And it 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 certainly is destroying us because, and and so you know not not to belabor the, the point. That's why I I was very happy whether it's a slip of the tongue or not that when she said alternate facts that that was grabbed onto because no. It is shining a light on that phenomenon where so hopefully, hopefully it's going to 
it's going to cause people to ask a question, you know, are there really two sets of facts? I mean, <laughs> you, you, you posted a video, people watched the video and came away with different... They didn't mm -hmm. come away with anything. They, they went back out with what they came in with. So whatever, exactly. whatever baggage they came in with, they went back out Thank with Thank you very baggage. much. Thank you very much. And, and uh -huh. in a sense, and I'll give that chance to speak to the issue, really. In a sense, I could understand the, 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 the anger of the people. Now, the other thing that happened, on the way to the funeral, which was in the Prime Minister's, the guy lived in the Prime Minister's constituency. This funeral is also in the Prime Minister's constituency. The guy had a business, all right? And he ran into some difficulty. And the, the government moved in on him. And the business place is now run over by vines. On the way to the funeral, the people passed this place. And they knew that if the Prime Minister wanted to, he could have cleared the situation up and, and give him back the business. And he said he wouldn't. No, that's what colored people's minds who came to the funeral. They saw, some people had never seen this before in their lives. But they were driving past this business place now that is overrun by vines. That was once the same guy's own. All right. And whom the Prime Minister did nothing to help. But he's coming to speak at his funeral. And that's where the anger came from. But nobody wants to deal with the fact that that's where the anger came from. They see it as a small, narrow political perspective that everybody is supposed to think because they don't like the prime minister. But we have to stop that nonsense. You understand? We have to start to deal and treat with facts as they are. Not how we like them to be. Because how we like them to be doesn't change what the facts are. So, so coming back to my original question, then, as a journalist, what do we have? What as journalists, what do we have to do? Just keep pounding at it, and hopefully we will get through. What strategy can we use? Uh, how do we that type of phenomenon? I, I will tell you this. I, I am also a trained marketer, and that's one of the things I bring to journalism. I also view journalism and get my story out there from the perspective of a good marketer. There's no sense having a great story and it it languishes. You have to find. You have to know how to get it out there. So I can do that. Um, so I use some of those strategies to put to make sure that my story gets out there. But all you can do, listen to me. Let me let me let me let me get biblical about this, right? So you know the story of, of Dives and Lazarus, okay, in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Do you? So uh, the other guy says to Jesus in the story, "Send back Lazarus that he might warn my brothers not to come to this place." What was Jesus' answers? Jesus says to him. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Because even if somebody comes back from the dead, they will not hear. We can't win everything. <laughs> the most you can do is your best. And, and, and the most you can do, because the, the prophets who were there telling the same brothers don't end up in hell. They are there. If the brothers don't listen to them, could you imagine that? Jesus will say, even if somebody came back from the dead, people won't listen. That's the nature of the human heart. So the journalist's responsibility is to tell the truth simply and clearly. Ensure that people know what you said and, uh, and put it out there. You can't make them believe and not believe. So, so do you think that part of the problem with journalism in the region is that too many of our media houses seem to belong to one camp or another? Absolutely the problem. I saw today somebody is saying, oh, well, you see, it's like that in the States. You have Fox News and you have CNN and stuff. The, the difference is, is that in the United States, the size of the society could put to deal with that. 
the, the power of business could handle that. We don't have those. We, we are minuscule when it comes to this. And oftentimes, the power is on the side of the people in government. One time I said to the prime minister when he wanted me to say, oh, Joy, why don't you support me, blah, blah, blah. I said, I, say, I support no political party up front, out front like that. None. I said to him, I said, listen, you have API, which is the government's information service program, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the TV station. You have a newspaper that is in your corner already. You have, in fact, sometimes more than one of the station. You have a local radio station. I said, you have four outlets. Why are you worried about me? I am just a single person. I don't have the resources that you have. Why are you worrying about my view? And, and Why is my view so important? And that is the mentality of the politicians in the Caribbean. You know? They want 100%. Exactly. They don't want anybody to say anything negative about them. What kind of life is that? Huh? The role of the media, I, I, right? My theory is that is because they know they're incompetent, because they know they don't have results to show, so therefore Precise. they want to be able to control the message completely. Because if you know, if you know you have results, you will not please a hundred percent of the people, but you will be able, to, no matter who reports, you'll be able to show some results. But if you if you if you're not confident or you know for sure you're not performing at the way you should perform, then you want to have all the messengers be your messengers. Exactly. And even if they're lying for you, they don't care. It's, 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 it becomes, it comes down not to a question of, okay, we have this program. Yes, we are failing at it. But how could we, you, the population, tell us what we need to do? No, even if it's failing, you must say it's, it's good. It's great because the leaders take this information personal. Government become, and this is another issue that we are struggling with in the region, right? Although none of the constitutions that we have really say anything about our parties, eh? None. When you come to selecting who is the leader, it comes down to the people who were elected, them choosing who the leader, who they want to lead them as prime minister. Mm-hmm. That's what the constitution has nothing to do with political parties. But you know what has been happening among us now? <laughs> I guess because of the closeness and the influence of the United States. We have been literally running presidential campaigns for our elections. So it's about electing so-and-so, right? So we have presidential campaigns in a Westminster parliamentary system, and that's part of the confusion. So often, people ignore the candidate in their constituency who they know is really incompetent. But because the prime minister wants that person, everybody looks past the incompetence and select them. Then when they get into government and they don't perform, they wonder why. That's that. All of these things are areas we need to address and understand why we have been failing in the region. So, so, so when when we were going to school, we used to be educated. We used to we used to have civics. We used to have. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the young people. I think the young people of the Caribbean are doing a good job with what's, with what's, with what's given to them. I mean, there's a number of shortcomings in the system that they have to deal with. Um, that's supposed to educate them and train them to, to be productive adults. I think there's a number of things in the system that fail young people. However, when we used to go to school, we were educated. One of my biggest gripes with the Caribbean system 
is that we stopped doing Caribbean history. When I went to uh-huh. school, Caribbean history was one of the compulsory subjects. You know? Uh-huh. Um, everybody did Caribbean history for five years. Now, they, you may do Caribbean history if you choose to in fourth and fifth form. So we've grown a whole generation of people that don't have that understanding as, as inadequate and maybe incomplete or, or, or westernized as it was, at least it, it used to give people a sense of the people that went before us, how they, they suffered to get us to where we are. And I think that when we, when we lost that, and unfortunately it seemed to have come in at the same time as the Caribbean Examination Council started. So I, I don't know how those two get reconciled because you would think that when we in charge of our exams and our curriculum, it would reflect our needs a little better, but apparently it doesn't. But, you know, in terms of trying to, to tackle that, I think, I think education is where we have, where we have to focus because it is more difficult to fool an educated person than it is to fool an uneducated person. I used to believe so. No. I, it is that. I, I, I used to, no, no, no. I used to believe so. No. Because I am putting it to you. Listen uh-huh. to me. I am putting it to you that today what passes in many of our countries that have more educated people, more people with degrees, more people with all kinds of qualification will not have passed with our grandparents. You know, but our grandparents stood up for what they knew, where they knew they wanted to go to. We have more educated people, but the society is going down the drain. Why? It's not education. Well, the, the thing it's about it is that the people education. who are educated, to me, they have an agenda. They, uh-huh. they have their deliberate so that education? Yeah. So is that education? You educated to lift your country, not to help to pull it down. So if your education encourages you to pull your country down or to stay quiet when you should speak up when you know something is wrong, is that education? Really? I don't think so. I, 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 Listen, when we, look at the, when we look at what our foreparents, our grandparents and our great-grandparents stood up for, when they knew so little, all right, out of emancipation and all the rest of it, they didn't know as much as we know today. But they, they know what to, they knew what to stand for and they stood firmly. Today, some of them are rolling in their graves ashamed of us because we know more than they do, but we are not making it standing. A couple of weeks ago, we had Dr. Martin Luther King. There's a lot of people who like to laud Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, as this great so-and-so, and we like to talk. Ask them if they're prepared to stand up anyway close to Dr. Martin Luther King for their, for their country. Not if they have an opportunity to get a one-upmanship and their brother or sister. Never did they stand up. So, so let's talk about something specific. Um, I want to go to the sale of citizenship in the Caribbean. I know they give it a nice name about citizen by investment, but there's no investment. It's, it's, uh, economic citizenship. It's a, sale, it's a sale of citizenship. And I use the word sale in both senses of the word sale, in that it is for sale where you can just pay money for it, but also in the sense that a sale is when something is discounted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm familiar with what's going on in Dominica. I I read up on St. Kitts a little bit because a lot of people like to hold up um, the revised version of St. Kitts as maybe an example of what it should look like. You in the region... Um, and from all the different islands. Tell, tell, 
Let you tell us a little bit about the sale of passport thing and how you see it from your from your perspective. I said to you stop because let's let's get this the history lesson on this right. St. Kitts it was who came up with this idea of economic citizenship about 32, 33 years ago. It worked brilliantly well. In fact, it worked so well that countries like Malta and other countries in Asia, in Europe, saw the potential for this thing and crafted programs like this. You see, we don't give credit sometimes to our own developments, you know, until somebody comes and takes it. The other day, the Caribbean was scrambling because Japan was going to claim Pan. And the only reason we saved it because we didn't do anything to protect Pan, the only instrument to have been developed in the 20th century, right? The mm-hmm. only thing that saved us is that it was still in the public domain and because Trinidad had been associated with it for much more longer, they won out the case against Japan. But Japan saw the power of Japan Pan was and was... Pan they were going to patent Pan. Wow. Oh, yeah. Go and check it, right? And I'm saying... St. Kitts was who came and put this whole idea of economic citizenship. There's nothing wrong with it. Anybody will tell you Britain has something similar, United States have something similar. And they crafted a good thing. And it was going well. It had its issues here and there. They fixed those issues and they moved it along. The difference is with Malta, let me just use Malta. I think you have to pay a million dollars and you must be resident and you must make an investment in Malta. That's true economic citizenship, okay? It's not that you're just buying a Maltese passport and just go about your business. You have to be resident and you have to invest. In other words, you have to become part and parcel of the life of Malta. And I think that is right if you're going to be called a citizen. So there's nothing wrong with the programs. But when St. Kitts ran into problems, when their economy started to tank and all the rest of it, St. Kitts at at one point, had a debt-to-GDP ratio of 120%. And they were in deep trouble. They really then went to this program and got a lot of money. They went to the IMF and they had to take a loan from the IMF. They used money from that to be able to pay off the loan. And the IMF complimented them. Okay? The other islands say, what? That look good, boy. And they rushed in. And that is how we have the spawning of all of these other countries that want to do this thing. Dominica was the country that followed St. Kitts. Okay? But listen to what? When St. Kitts came on, they came on at I think it was 250,000 US dollars. As I said to you, Malta is a millionaire, but we even brought it below the When Dominica started, they were charging $40,000 for a passport. You understand how this thing has been devalued? So, they started there. And then we have this continuing devaluation. St. Lucia has just taken it into what I have called the bargain basement. They're now saying, okay, just give us the money. You don't even have to go and swear to be a citizen, which was part of the program before. Just give us the money and carry on. And we have brought the whole thing down to the bargain basement. The good thing is that St. Lucia's program is not going, is not on the road. And I believe that all of this that is happening, they might yet struggle to get that program on the road. Because I see out of what is going on in Dominica, there's going to be a clampdown on this whole thing. And the thing is that Dominica take it further where they will sell, they sell I, I have to say, they sell diplomatic passports. That's where it went, exactly. So it's, it's selling the ordinary passport was one deal. But Dominica in particular, they want to deny it however they want to deny it. They lie. They do sell them. Okay? 
Um, I don't know who actually does the transaction, but notice it because there are too many instances out there where this has happened. And the, the thing with a diplomatic passport that makes it dangerous is that once a person holds a diplomatic passport for a country, every diplomat has free passage through customs and immigration. Once you flash a, a, a diplomatic passport, you're literally waved through. So you could have anything with you. And that's what makes it dangerous. Okay. And that is why in the case that we're studying in Dominica right now, that's where the whole thing exploded. And and the numerous, I mean, the multiple people from holding Dominican diplomatic passports has been arrested. Correct. No. The, the, and and I and I and I watch all the discussion back and forth on Facebook and social media. The the problem I have with these people who try to defend the program is that if I'm the Prime Minister of Dominica and I I appointed somebody as a diplomat in good faith. And that person gets arrested. I am going to that person's consulate or embassy or whatever it is, and I'm going to launch a protest that that you will not provide in diplomatic privilege to my diplomat. Exactly. But when you when you when your diplomat gets arrested, then your first reaction is to say, "Oh, we had already cancelled his passport." <laughs> right there and there, you you your your eyes wide open because you, it's like you're a kid that gets caught. With your hand in the cake, mm-hmm. because because you're not even having what is supposed to be a natural and genuine reaction. Mm-hmm. Because if 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 I appoint you as my diplomat, I did it in good faith, and I'm going to say, um, "Oh boy, they arrested Jerry and whatever." I'm dispatching somebody to go and take care of my diplomat because this man is traveling on my behalf, representing me, and he gets into mm-hmm. some sticky water that I need to go. And defend him. I need to go find out the facts, and 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 there are channels within which you can address those situations. You're not bailing and and try to run and cover yourself. Um, Thank you. That just says that you knew all along that what that there was something nefarious going on. And 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 I I I, I look online and I see all these people who defend the programs and 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 it's so it's just so obvious that. These people who are trying to defend the program is grinding an axe. They they have some. No, no. The people who are defending the program have been benefiting tremendously. The problem is that their greed has gotten ahead of them, and they don't know when to stop. And I have said, listen, listen. Two years ago, I first dealt with the subject of um of citizenship by investment on time to face the fact. Five months ago, we returned to the subject. To, uh, five months ago, the question was asked in the program, is the Caribbean handling the citizenship by investment programs responsibly? That's five months ago. None of this had broken, but we had seen it coming. And two years ago, when we first dealt with it, we wanted the Caribbean people to understand what this thing is all about and why they need to speak up. Okay? But nobody's going. It's only when um, CBS does a little slot in its program that everybody suddenly erupts and realizes, oh, it's important. Really? And that's our problem. Unless it comes from, until it comes from outside, nobody pays attention. The the, the problem I have with the, the economic citizenship program, the sale of citizenship, is that I'm a Dominican. That is my identity. Okay. Mm-hmm. I happen to have American citizenship as well, but I'm a Dominican. That's my identity. When mm-hmm. if I meet somebody tomorrow and they, they say, well, what is it to be a what is a Dominican? You're a Dominican. Who are you? 
what is it to be a Dominican? And I can stand and I can proudly say, okay, I am a Dominican. This is what makes me Dominican. And I am proud to present myself to the world as a Dominican. If that person then turns around and says, you see this guy over there? He's a Dominican too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that all this guy had to do was pay. I don't care if he paid a million dollars. I really don't care. If, if all mm-hmm. this guy had to do was pay a million dollars to get his citizenship, so I'm a Dominican for my, my, my worth is a million dollars. That's my identity. My identity is probably mm-hmm. worth a million dollars. And, and, and mm-hmm. so, so, so I understand an investment program, an economic investment program. If somebody comes into your country and makes a significant investment and makes a significant contribution to your country, and and they 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 intrude, they reside there. Of course, they deserve the privilege of of the other nationals because they 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 show that they want right. to be part of the society. Your life, and, and, part and, of your and, life. And and if, if and if they help you to address a need, there's some economic need, and there's a need for for income into the country, and they address it. all the more all the better. Because persons can become citizens by different means. You marry a national, you're born there, you reside there for a certain time. So if you make a certain contribution towards it, but it should not be that somebody can just write a check and then turn around and say, okay, when I say I'm a proud Dominican, he's a proud Dominican too, you know? And maybe he's a proud Kittishan and Maldives. What, what does that do to, what does that do to you as a Dominican when you think that that is what is, that's all it takes to be a Dominican? And mm-hmm. therefore, and therefore, with that psyche, it, does that then affect our people in their ability to say, to turn around and tell these people, you need to put your country first, you cannot put yourself first, you need to be a statesman. Sometimes you have to stand up and, and stand up for the rights of your country. How, when you've devalued what it is to be a, a, a Dominican so much, how then can you tell somebody that they need to sacrifice themselves and their family for sake of country? That mm-hmm. that there is my fundamental problem with the whole economic program, the way it is done. The way it's done, say so that, because that, that's what I point out to you. The issue that we have in the Caribbean, it's the way it's done. And Dominica has even more issues because the way it's done in Dominica, you know, you know, I don't know if they practice it where you are, but insurance companies will get their part-time people to sell policies, right? And so they, they're the ones who will come knock, knock up your house in the evening, you know, because they want to get to, to earn an extra buck and they'll come knocking your house trying to sell you a policy. That's literally how Dominic is running their system. Okay. Uh, they put, they, they name some people ambassadors and they go out and literally they could bargain what they get. Nobody knows what this, what, what, what the, the things are sold for and what they get out of it. Now I am saying if my passport is, I am, I am just as much an owner of the passport as anybody else. Why should somebody be earning so much money on that which is also mine and I'm really not getting anything out of it? It just ain't right. You know, it's not right. That is the second, that is the second problem. That is the second problem where individual people are selling citizenship like it's a commodity that they produce in a factory somewhere. Exactly. And they deserve it's a like profit it's theirs. For it, and they deserve like a it's profit theirs. For it. Thank you. That's and, it. And to stretch that even further, it is rumored that the well, it seems like that people in government are directly benefiting from it. 
I mean, but, but that's what I'm saying. People are selling the passports. In one instance, when the payment for one of these citizenship appeared in a certain individual's bank account, the bank said no and held up the hand and said, where this is coming from? And that's what the bank was told. It's Dominica. I'll say something here that I haven't said before. Dominic is already feeling the pressure of this thing that they're trying to make out to be an opposition issue. And that is the other thing that is annoying, you know, that this is, this is uh, an opposition issue. It is the opposition smear. But you take my word on this one now. All of the international banks in Dominica have closed any accounts that has to do with CBI. Say that again. Precise. All the international banks in Dominica have closed every, any account that has to do with the citizens and buying ship investment. Is that a program. new development? It is a new development. That's what I'm telling you first. You're hearing it here first. Mm. Let them doubt it. So, <laughs> we say international banks like Royal Bank, um, RBC, RBC, Post uh, Caribbean, Kosher. Yes. Okay. Scotia Not Barclays, RBC, Kosher. Yes. They've all closed the part of any account that has to mm-hmm. do with the Caribbean by investment program. Mm hmm. That is great news. Let them doubt that. That is, Let them doubt that, that is great news. Now, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of, of, um, texts, um, messages on social media. Mm-hmm. And, um, somebody says there are 92 different websites that they've been able to con that sells Dominica passport. 92 yeah. different websites. Got yep. Um, and then they just said that, oh, only the National Bank, the National Development Bank of Dominica is the only one that has not frozen this account. So this, this is, this is a tremendous, yep. this is a, this is a, this is a wonderful development. Is that, um, I tell you, I've just, I, I first said it here. Yeah. I first said it here. And the thing about it now, somebody might say, okay, well, the DNB, the Dominican National Bank, well, you know, yeah, you know what they have done? Are you there? I'm there, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what they are doing? They are exposing the Dominican National Bank to huge risk. And the moment something goes wrong, and this is why the shareholders and the people of Dominican National Bank need to pay attention. They have now brought all the risk to the Dominican National Bank, which means that if anything goes wrong, they could have that bank shut. Yeah, and they can, you think, you their, think, they can use their correspondent privileges to be able well, to... Well, that is why these other banks make sure now. Yeah. Other banks made sure and stopped it because they don't want to get in trouble with their corresponding banking situation. Because in their country, because they're foreign banks and they're owned by banks in Canada and the United States, the rules in those countries, they will face such hefty charges if one dollar of money that should pass through those accounts pass through. We just have to look at what happened with Belize, you know. If we think that this is far-fetched, Belize had banks that lose their their corresponding banking relations, and it simply means that when the country gets there, the country can't do business with the world. They cannot do business with the world. So this is not no, this is not a problem to do with the opposition. This is not a problem to do with somebody trying to stop the the, the economic engine that is running Dominica. Uh uh-uh. uh this has huger implication. And where I take this further is that I'm saying Dominica is part of the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union. We have one central bank. And if that happens, it affects all of us. 
No, so I don't there's, want there's a couple of things, there's a couple of things that you mentioned before I before we leave before we we go off a little bit. There's a couple of um of of um, social media. There there are some people who are trying to do something online in Dominica. They call themselves the People's Party of Dominica people. They they've been right up front um pushing and handling and 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 bringing to light a lot of the stuff on the on this um, citizens by investment program, so listeners can go look for that website. Um, it's um, People's Party of Dominica people. I don't think they're the official party as yet, but they've been trying to to get off the ground. There's also um, a, a, a Facebook page, Be the Change Dominica, that also has some good information on there. And of course, there's always Dominica political group, but that discussions on that tend to get um, sidetrack quite a bit. Although you know you get a good bit of information on those, on those, on those social media pages as well. Now, when you went, went to coming back to the last point that you made, when you say that the let's say the National Bank of Dominica gets a serious hit because they are the ones that's going to be left holding the bag when all the foreign banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that's going to have a, a ripple effect in the region because they are part of the central central wow. bank. Mm-hmm. My my question is about CARICOM because you know I always start my program by playing the CARICOM anthem because one of the my big big passion is to see the Caribbean go forward as one country. I I don't think we we can continue to just go as fragmented you know pieces of rock drifting in the Caribbean. Too. And battered by the Atlantic Ocean, we have to come together as one, as one, as one country. But I always question this thing because the all the islands give out a passport that they call a CARICOM passport, mm-hmm. and I could never understand that if you have a CARICOM passport that that is issued by all these different countries, how come they don't have one standard? How is it that if a CARICOM passport, just because it says Dominica, Dominica can set its own rule, and St. Vincent can set its own rule, so what, what is CARICOM then in a, in a setting like that? And the same thing can Absolutely. be asked in terms of the ECCB, the Central Bank, and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is not going to, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Because, you see, not until the hammer comes down on us, and we feel pain, that we're going to understand. People pay more. Only that time. But but you see, what is this happening is that we like to think that we fight colonialism and we beat our chest and we say we're independent. Please. But so many times we have to depend on our former colonizers <laughs> to, to come back and save the day. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, take take yourself, Dominica, there's enough how many diplomats has to get arrested with Dominican diplomatic passport before our people decide to hold the government accountable, to give a good explanation, to, to tell them that that is unacceptable? How, how, okay. how many diplomats have to go to be arrested before we can do that? Since you brought this thing wider to CARICOM, let's ease off of Dominica for a while and let me show you that it is a disease that we have. Let's go to Trinidad and Tobago. FATCA, which is the, the foreign um, accounts 
legislation that the United States have, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. That they have been asking all of these countries to. When the opposition in Trinidad, which was the government of just a few months ago, were in place, they started the process, okay, of having FAT, the FATCA legislation adopted in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. Mm. They set the rules. Now they are the opposition. They don't like the rules that they set. So they are refusing for the government to go ahead and pass the legislation. The United States have basically gave them the end of February and say, fix it all. Some people are now saying, well, with Trump come, maybe Trump might change it. Trump is not going to change it. You understand? But that's the nonsense. And it comes back to that question of how we're allowing party politics to stand in the way of our development. The same people who brought and wrote the legislation when they were in government are objecting to the same things that they wrote into the legislation. How that makes sense to you? And that is why CARICOM will not work. And it will not work until we are once again completely colonized. That's the only thing that's going to happen to this region. Because we keep depending on this European, yeah. American people to come back. And well, no, we can't. We can't work world. together. Yeah. We can't work together. So what we, every time we do something stupid, we just are opening up ourselves to become colonies once more. But there are people who seem not to worry. As long as in the, in the interim, they think they get the benefit out of it. And, and but the people of this region is my problem. And, I, and again, I'm saying to you, we've had the benefit, we say, of the best education over the last 50 years, and we're still this nonsense and stupid. The people should get up and tell them, both sides, cut your crap together and fix this problem. Because it's going to hurt Trinidad. It's not going to help. It's going to hurt Trinidad. Mm-hmm. But until the United States get let them let um, February 28th pass and they don't fix it. And the United States simply come back and say, okay, fine. We have no more chance. You don't want to deal with us? And they cut off certain things from them. Then everybody going to be scrambling. Oh, 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 oh. But now that the discussion is going on, the citizens are quiet. Because their party, they take sides on whichever side of the party they support. Because they think the political party is what is important. Let us continue to play that stupid game. The, that brings me to, to the Caribbean Court of Justice. And every time I hear that there is a referendum or a vote to adopt the Caribbean Court of Justice and it does not pass, my head, my head breaks. <laughs> what, what is the situation that's happening? Why the people of the Caribbean are repeatedly choosing not to break ties with the Privy Council in favor of our own Caribbean court. You live in the U.S. where financial issues and stock issues are very prominent in the news every day. And the one thing that you always hear them tell you, that confidence is what is important in the system of finance. Am I right? Confidence. Confidence. The moment people lose confidence in the system, you could say what you like. You could have the best whatever you like. Once confidence is lost in the financial system, they know until they restore that confidence one way or the other, nobody's going to buy any of those stocks. Or people start to dump stocks fast and furious because confidence is key. The problem in the region to do with FATCA is a crisis of confidence in our judiciary. You see, the people who promote it want to tell you, oh, well, you see, our judges are as smart and as 
as as um, qualified as the judges in the in the in the, in the privy council. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, I know people like, for example, Justice Sidgwick Sanders. I know him. I know the man. I know the quality of the man that he is. Would I ever doubt him? Never. I mean, he's, well, from the standpoint, he's a human being, he can feel, but my initial reaction to somebody like him would be to trust his judgment. But the chief judge of the OECS court just about three months ago told us of the pressures that they are facing. She didn't say by who, by persons to influence their judgment. Now you figure out who those persons might be, who might even dare to think that they could call up a judge to influence, to influence judgments. Okay? That's where people fear in the Caribbean. But more importantly, and here's where the rubber hits the road. The real issue has to do with the magistracy in these parts. The average man comes into contact with the judicial system in our region via the magistrate courts. And the, 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 the judgment in the magistrate courts sometimes are so far apart, you really want to know what's going on here. And so the common man feels that he can't depend on that justice. But here's what the problem is in, in the magistracy. The magistrates have a contract with the government that they are in. So if you know that you could be removed, if you make a ruling that doesn't suit the government, and your contract can be withdrawn, and you put back on the breadline, you see how much easier it is to, to think first of pleasing the government? Right. That's the problem. And my Prime Minister, Dr. Afghansas, was, I remember in my early days of reporting when the whole question of the appellate version of the CCJ came forward. He was then the leader of the opposition. And he spoke to us about us doing something about the magistracy and because he was a practicing lawyer at the time and how the problems with the magistracy. He has been an officer 16 years. That has never happened. He has never addressed that issue. So people are stupid, right? In fact, people look at some of the people here who are appointed and they start to raise their eyebrows because they know some of them political stance. Until we fix the magistracy, until we, we, we just like we did for the CCJ, where there's a fund that insulates the, 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 the payment issues for the judges in the CCJ, until we do something similar for the magistrates and the magistrates can have that sense of, of, of independence, there's going to be always remain that suspicion with the CCJ. And that's what nobody wants to tell you. They want to tell you, oh, you know, it's like, as I say, say with stock, you might say, oh, this stock is great. It's, it's good, you know, because we have done this and this in the business. We have implemented these strategies in the business. We've bought this equipment in the business. And because of this, you should have confidence in this stock. Really? Not so it works. The problem with the CCJ is a crisis of confidence. So you say, so why do people... Let me illustrate that again. So you go to what happened in St. Kitts a, a couple a year or two ago, where the government <coughs> took forever to deal with a question of no confidence. Three years. Then 
the opposition had to appeal to the court because they, they tried this sleight of hand to change the boundaries. The opposition had to appeal to the Privy Council. I listened to that whole case myself via, via um, the internet. And I listened to some of the things that those law lords said, and I shook my head because we look bad. Even the Governor General, they said in that, in that ruling, could be arrested for some of the things that he did. Are you understanding what I'm telling you here? Those are the issues. And it is because this, they, they got that matter before the, the Privy Council. And the Privy Council ordered them not to change anything that they probably won the election, the last election. You with me? I, I with you. Yes, I'm with you. These are the issues that nobody wants to deal with up front. So they keep pushing in front of us. Um, like the, the chief just, just to stop the, the CCJ was in Grenada recently and somebody asked him a question. He went into a temper tantrum that, oh, he spent all of his life, um, defending his reputation and blah, 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 blah. Nobody's questioning your reputation. People are questioning the system. The system is what people have an issue. And that's why the CCJ will continue to flounder until those issues are dealt with up front. The, the issue of independence of the magistracy. Yes. People feeling that they're not just the magistrate, not the magistrate, right, at the magistrate, yes. People feeling that there is not, a prime minister is not going to find somewhere to send a message to some just to make a decision in their favor. That's the bottom line of the problem. I know, I know, Grenada I know just had, in Dominica, people are very, very suspicious of the way the courts are run. People feel, whether it's true or not, a lot of people have the opinion that this, that this requires trade wins among themselves. They decide who's going to win the case, you know, and they throw a case, um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying to you. Among each other. So people, people are Listen. very wary of the judicial system. We have, we have, right now it's in Vincent, are waiting, and this is just one of those other cases in point. You've had in the United States, in Jamaica, in Trinidad recently, we're coming out of elections. There have been challenges to the election, the outcome. And what those countries made sure and do is to deal with those issues up front and get them out of the way. St. Vincent has had election last December. We still have um, queries as to the outcome. Some of them where the, 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 the evidence is so compelling. Is there any urgency to get that settled with? Jamaica had the problem with the elections. There was concern. They called for a magisterial count, and they waited for over a week before the prime minister took office. Clean that matter up, and then we are going to take office. Is that happening? You have a judge who is reported to say that no judge in this, I'm talking about the OECS now, is going to rule against any sitting government. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I, Why would people I, have confidence in that? I remember there's a case in Dominica where um, there was a bombing of a prominent um, attorney in Dominica's. Um, there was a bombing of his home, mm -hmm. right? So apparently they had a they had a, a chief witness that said that he has evidence and, and that he was he was hired by whatever it is, you know, by some person to do the act and so on and so forth. And that case said that language, it language, and then eventually the man said, "Oh, he changed. He wants to change his 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 testimony. He lied." And you know what they turn around and do? 
They say, well, that is what our case was premised on, so we, we dropped the case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, a, a few years ago, um, when, when, when the current Prime Minister of Dominica, he was challenged, because in Dominica, you cannot, you're not allowed to have dual citizenship and run for office, according to the Constitution. So, after he won the election, it came to light that he's a French citizen as well as a Dominican. <laughs> so, instead, you know, instead of whatever it is, he decided to challenge it, they went to court and the court dropped the case because I guess they asked him to provide, <laughs> they asked him to provide evidence that he's a French citizen <laughs> and he didn't provide it, so they dropped the case for lack of evidence. Mm. <laughs> and everybody know that it's true? Well, but apart from that, if you if you were depending on me to provide evidence as, against myself, as myself, would I? And I refuse to, and on that grounds to drop the case, then I, then I guess exactly. I, can, I can I can commit I can do whatever I want at any time. You know? So why then would anybody want to have confidence in a CCJ with the final um, ruling on some matter that concerns them lies there? Why? Why would they want to do that? Yeah. So, so I guess that is that is what that that crisis is, and that is well, we have so much we have so much to address. We have mm-hmm. so much to address in the Caribbean. It's not, um, mm-hmm. it's not you know, and um, and 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 with with the uncertainty that that America faces with the election of Trump, it, it it's amazing, you know, how uncertain, how much more uncertain that makes the the region. And, and and to add to that uncertainty, you, you have the government describing the sale of passport as the lifeblood of the Dominican economy. I mean, Would you believe this? When I heard that, that made me want to shrivel up and go high in a corner let anybody know. Well, no, but it is. Forty I've been told that 40% of the revenues are based on that. No, if have tomorrow... You been to if I've been to Dominica, I've walked in Dominica. You know to Dominica. So you know, know Dominica you, 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 you know how many rivers we have, and you know all the way to the, oh, sea, the water is crystal clear. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I know and Antigua doesn't right. have a single river. You know, mm-hmm. you can find bottled water that was bottled in Antigua on the shelf in Dominica. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes sense to somebody, right? Yeah, and and Dominica has never succeeded to ship a boat. Of, of water, out. I guess something maybe shipping bottled water. I don't know, maybe a pallet or whatever it is. But to say that we can ship a bulk, you know, a tanker of water to Antigua, to Anguilla, to Saint Martin, all of these countries that are so. What has happened? What has happened to Antigua? It's just happened in the case of Antigua. Antigua ran short about three years ago. Dominica provided water to them, but is is there consistent supply? I don't know, and I don't think so. But they have helped them out in the past. So, but, but my, my point is that. So I mean, it's the resources right there. It's flowing to the sea. Why do we need to sell our mm-hmm. passports and, and make it become the chief export of our country? The chief. But more than that, everybody will tell you that going forward, the water is going to be more expensive than than oil. Yeah. And that is that is the kind of focus that Dominica needs to be put into defend the fact that its rainforests are going to stay intact so that they can continue to provide all of this water in face of all this climate change talk that they have, and therefore their water could become the next valuable item that they have on sale. But that is not where the focus is. It's easy money. Easy money. 
And so you have on one side people who know that they have done wrong and they would pay anything to, to look clean. They're willing to, to offload any amount of money and people who are willing to accept that money. But isn't that, isn't that the description of money laundering? <laughs> Not quite, but... Um, <laughs> oh, close enough. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> close enough. And, it's, and, and when, you mix, when you mix that scenario that you just described, people who have money that they got in questionable means and want to look clean, and people who are willing to receive money to facilitate that process, when you mix in the number of questionable persons with diplomatic passports, that I think you reach too far with the mixture. Yeah. I think you reach too far the mixture. When this happened between private individuals, and let's use the, the money laundering, somebody who has money they want to make, you know. Well, in this case, it's not money these people want. These people want their, their identity to look good. Right. And they're prepared to hand off any amount of money for that to happen. And on the other side, you have people who are prepared to take that money. Here's where the complexity comes. If that happened between two private individuals, fine. But when the government of a country, right, is alleged to be encouraging this, this is where we have a problem. This is where the problem becomes really huge. Okay? That's where it becomes really, really an issue. Because here you have the lawmakers facilitating something like that. And anywhere that question arises, in fact, that question should never arise. And the fact that it is arising is the cause for concern. And, and when you see the, the people in government seem to be personally benefiting from it. So that's it. That, 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 uh, you know, is, is questionable. And I, again, I want to jump on the diplomatic passport thing because as you said before, when somebody gets into an airport and they flash a diplomatic passport, they just wave through. Who knows mm-hmm. what's in that diplomatic pouch or, or whatever bag that mm-hmm. person has accompanying, you know, with them. So we don't uh-huh. know as Dominicans who's representing us, who's doing what on our behalf, who's doing what under the cover of our name. Uh-huh. You know, and, 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 and so if we, the last area I guess we can, achieve, we, we, we can go to, um, so that I don't overindulge, you know, on your kindness to stay on with us and my producers to keep us on. I go ahead. Um, you know, that brings me to the, the travel ban that, um, that, that Donald Trump has issued uh, with the promise that it, it, it will be expanded. So, when all of these things come to light, where there is this country where, you know, up to seven people have been arrested with diplomatic passports in the last 12 months or whatever it is, and some of these people are, uh, this last guy was linked to, this last guy was linked to, um, to this Iran oil for gold scheme and And that is why this what this last one is of such importance. Here's why. You have the United States going to the, the UN to instigate um sanctions against Iran for nuclear because they won't they won't come clean with their nuclear position. And you have somebody trying to circumvent that. And you think that the United States of America is going to sit back there after having fought hard to have these sanctions and have somebody to circumvent them and they're going to sit there and smile and say, well, you see, that one just slipped through. Really? Anybody who thinks that way clearly don't understand the nature, the global nature of the world. But, and uh, uh, some language was used 
that is very important. And that language was used by the man, Kelly, who is going to have response. He has responsibility for the immigration, and he also has responsibility for this question of that has to, well, obviously because his immigration, he has to do with things like the diplomatic passports and how passports are issued. He has said, so let those who think this is about Leonard Clinton or the UWP is the issue. You know what he has said? He has said this citizenship by investment program leaves open a gaping hole. Listen to the language, yeah? A gaping hole in the global security architecture. He's going to be taken over. Now, with his thinking that this thing opens this wide hole, we think he's going to do pat somebody in the back and say, well, well you know, really? Let's us fool ourselves. Well, you know, um, like you said, we have to feel pain you know, and before we have before we demand accountability, before we demand change. And so probably that's probably that's the pain that's on its way. Because if mm-hmm. if the if the sale of passport is the bloodline to our economic uh, health in Dominica, and from all indications I think it's day, it's days are numbered, then there is no, some, serious the, pain, there's some serious pain coming to, to Dominica. Come. But they're setting up the situation to make it look like this is a political party, a specific person who is causing this. So when it fails, is he who goes squeal on you all? I mean, how ludicrous can it get for somebody to think that one man has so much power to bring CBS to do an investigation like this? Anybody who thinks that has to be really out of their minds. Eh? So somebody picked up the phone, called CBS and said, hey now, we have a problem with um with 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 passports down here. I think you better come and do a program. <laughs> really, <laughs> anybody who sends that kind of signal and message has got to be joking. CBS does the program because people internally, with feed from the government and immigration, are saying to them, "You see that issue? We wanted to highlight it because the U.S. government is sending a signal to these islands. We are onto this. Fix it." Mm-hmm. But instead of understanding that that's what this, the CBS program was about, that's what 60 Minutes was about, we turn around to make it a postal matter that this man is who is the cause of this and that kind of folly. It's annoying. And, and the, way, the way that this new administration is painting everything with a broad brush, and uh-huh. I, I mean, it, it's not a stretch to see that they that they add restrictions on entry in the United States for people from our islands because until they can get a handle on who exactly have we sold passports to and who holds diplomatic passports <laughs> and whatever and whatever, and it might just start affecting our, the ability of our people to go back and forth between the U.S. You know when you know when our people don't pay attention when they stop issuing visas, only then they will yeah. start to want noise. Only then they will realize it has nothing to do with a political party. But let us be stupid. Let us continue to be foolish. That's all I have to say. Only then will they understand the seriousness of this matter of which we speak tonight. It's a very, very serious matter. Note the language again. A gaping hole in the global, not regional, the global security architecture. And if they know that hole is there, they're going to plug it. And they don't care who suffers, who feels pain when they plug it. They will plug it. And it, it, it might sound. And the other thing that has uh-huh. happened, hold on, the other thing that's happened, you see this Montfort fella 
who Iran was able to come right under the nose of the USA and pick him up in Santo Domingo. And the US didn't get their hands on him. You know how bad the US um, security people look now that imagine Iran, Iranian come from quite over there to pick up this man here. We didn't get him. They so have embarrassed what, what they did is that they used Cuba to, to get him from the Dominican Republic and taking over to Cuba, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they flew him, because they have to declare who they have, and once they had declared that he was an aircraft that was even flying over U.S. airspace, they have a right to send out their fighter jet and bring down that aircraft and pick him off. You see, people don't understand the serious nature of what we're talking about here now. They bring it down to some little foolish political situation that this is this is just about domestic politics, really, really. Hmm. <laughs> Well, Jerry, I, I can see that we, we, we should have several conversations. I, I, I know you have oh, of your own. I would love to come in as well as your guest. And I'd like, I, I, I have, you know, to give you an invitation to come back. But, um, I, it gives us a chance to, we could, we, there's enough stuff to talk till midnight. We haven't even touched on the healthcare situation yes, a lot in the Caribbean. We haven't spoken about the education. Well, at least people with, with, with this with this bite to digest because this matter is a serious matter. Yeah. And you see the same thing here? We complain about the immigration ban. This citizenship by investment program could influence that for us. That is why people must put aside their partisan political viewpoint of this matter and understand the implications that are for all of us. This is not about post, but domestic politics. This is way bigger than that. But thank you very much for having me. I, no, and I, I really appreciate, I really appreciate your perspective because you, you, you sit on a perch where you're looking across the entire landscape of the region and, and you share your information so, so eloquently and so, so well that hopefully, hopefully people start to understand what's happening a little better. And, and of course, we know, like you said, people can come back from the dead and they will not be received, um, you know, with an open mind. So we, so we know we will get everybody. Their message will not be received. Exactly. That's the point. But hopefully, hopefully our listeners have a little better understanding. They're a little bit more informed. We, 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 I think we, we handle a big chunk of what's going on. Let's uh-huh. let's keep the agenda open. I'd like you to come back. I, I want to talk about healthcare. I want to talk about education. I want to talk about infrastructure. Give, um, give me sufficient time, and we can we can always work it out. Yeah, definitely. So so thank you so much for being my guest on this weekend interview, and I wish you all the best. I'm going to go look for your Facebook page and put a link um, on there, and let's see how we all can right. collaborate on some more stuff. So thank you so much. You're very welcome, sir. And good night to everyone. Well, listeners, as usual, um, I, I promised you that we were, we have this interesting conversation every Wednesday. Every Wednesday night we do this. We we bring a different guest on, and we like to bring you pers- a different perspective. As I always say, if what you learn or what you hear on this week in interview, you can hear it by turning on your radio or your television or going online, then there is no need for this week in interview. But... Again, you know, you, you can judge it for yourself. And I want to give a, a special shout out to my guest, to my, one of our listeners who, who, um, suggested Jerry to me. And, um, very, very, you know, delighted at the, at the suggestion. And, and I can see that he is just a real treasure trove of information and, and perspective. 
He, he certainly is courageous. We need a few more people like him uh, in the region to, to help guide us out of, out of that cul-de-sac that we found ourselves in, economic, political cul-de-sac that we're in in the Caribbean. We need, we need people like that who are going to shine a light to help guide our steps as we walk out of, that, of the shadow that, that, that you know, is being cast on us. As Caribbean people, we should, we should be able to celebrate our lives. Or we, are, we are very warm and kind people. And we allow our leaders to take us down a path where life in the Caribbean becomes, life in the Caribbean becomes so, how do you say it? It becomes so hard. Whereas we should be enjoying ourselves. People come to the Caribbean on vacation because they have the idea that we are free-spirited people who love music and love life. Uh, but but what, when, we, when we don't hold our leaders accountable, then what happens? They destroy the economy, they destroy our, our livelihood, and we suffer. And not only that, during that time, you have people that come from wherever they come from and they buy out all the resources of our country. And before we know it, we don't own our country, we don't control our future, we don't control our destiny. The last thing I want to say is that a lot of Dominicans, a lot of Caribbean people are very quick to, to accuse people of not being patriotic. But what is patriotism? Patriotism, a simple definition of patriotism, putting your country first. Patriotism is not going to fight a war just because your leader tells you to fight a war. Patriotism is not standing up and defending a leader because you think it's not right to say something that's unfavorable about your country. Patriotism is putting your country first. And, and something I want to ask you is that, if you think about Dominica, if Dominica was your company, let's say, let's say your parents died and left you an estate named Dominica, and you had a manager on that estate for the last 16 years. And the results they had for you is the results that the Labour Party has after being in power. Would you renew their contract for another five years? Are you that satisfied with the progress that has been made that you will, you will, you will do their contract over for another five years? If you say yes, then then I agree, okay, because because that's where it comes. If 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 Dominica was your company or your estate, do you think that it was managed to the best of the ability to where you would renew the contract of the manager, or would you be looking for new management? It's an honest question. It's not a question that's loaded one way or the other. But that's just how I would like you to think about it when you decide who you're going to vote for in the next election. Because your vote says, well done, continue doing what you do. Or it says, I think you have not done a good job. Let's get new managers. So this, 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 that's the question that we ask. And um, so I'm going to sign off. With, 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 and we don't want to abuse the privilege. Um, we beg the indulgence of our producers. It's now 9.40. Um, extra 40 minutes on there. But the, the conversation was so interesting that we decided that we could go on. And that's the thing. We're not, we're not, we're not on some popular media where, where we have, you know, we can only do things in song bites. I hope you agree with me 
that tonight was just an excellent discussion. Um, I told you that that um, Mr. Jerry Judge was very, very professional in his approach. So, so let us, you know, reflect on what we are. I wish you a great weekend, uh, a beautiful weekend, wherever, wherever you are. And let's meet again next week, Wednesday, uh, when we have another episode of this weekend interview where I can share with you, uh, we, I can share with you more information. Uh, I can share with you conversations I'm having with interesting people. So I want to say good night and thank you to my uh, engineer and producer, Sam. Always doing a good job in trying to take me out of <laughs> when when the technology attacks me, he saves me. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to TDNRadio.net. And you, the listener, of course, I never take your attention for granted. Thank you for joining me every Wednesday. And let's do this again next week, Wednesday. And I say good night and a great big thank you to Mr. Jerry George for a wonderful conversation. This has been This Week in Interview, a production of TVNRadio.net. Good night.